talk about developing spiritual roots. That's where we've been talking. I brought this illustration. I used to do this a lot where I'd bring an illustration in. Somebody reminded me of that, and I haven't done this in a long time. So I thought I would, I'd get a tree, and um, on Thursday this was looking pretty needy. And uh, so I took it outside and let it enjoy the rain uh, that it seems like we've had several <laughs> well, I mean, whatever days we've been in in 2019, just minus 10, and that's the days we've had good weather. Um, but the so I, I took it out there, enjoyed that, and got some sunshine. and brought it back in, and I I still looked at it and thought, okay, it's missing some. It needs something, and I think this is where I was. My whole thought of this series was. You know, we come out of Easter and we make these professions and we give our life to the Lord and, and we recommit our life to the Lord or maybe at the beginning of the year and, and we kind of go through the thought of, yeah, I know I need to live better. I need to live um, for the Lord. I need to make Him the Lord of my life and, and things need to change. But then oftentimes when I grew up in church, there was what you don't do. You just don't do this and it never made us live right. All the things that they, the rules and the list and the things that I was under in the, the growing up, it never, it, I was still sneaking around doing the things that they're telling me don't do. I know, listen, I, I'll have to say this, my in-laws are here today, so I've got to be careful how much I tell about myself. Um, they'll be thinking, what in the world did I let my daughter marry? Um, too late. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, no, I got great in-laws, but the, the idea for me was I needed to learn and in my life, I had to learn that there was a, there's a time where you have to start. It's not just a matter of, of having a relationship with God. It's actually letting that relationship grow, strengthen. And one of the things about this tree in order for it to actually live, and this is why I kept it the whole three weeks, is because I knew what it would kind of look like during this third week. And that is that you, you see less, and it is supposed to look like this, don't get me wrong. But, um, but if you would have saw this on Thursday as I was taking it out the door, it was lined with the, the, the white petals and the different the buds that had come off of it. And, um, and the reason being is that not just that it needs sunlight and it needs water uh, continually, but it needs something else. And the, 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 the transition, the paradigm shift that this will have to go through will be that we'll have to take it out of this small bordered life and put it, put it into something where the borders can actually grow deep, where we call it roots. And so when the root system can grow deep, then there's an establishment. So when the wind blows, and the Bible talks about wind being doctrine, the problem that we have today in our society is that there are so many doctrines. I can't tell you over the past 20 years, August will be 20 years, I've pastored Harvest Church. And in 20 years, I can't tell you how many people have come through here and all of a sudden they'll be here for five or six years or, or 10 years and then they'll get wind of somebody who talks about, you know, there's no such thing as 
hell. Or, you know, there's no such thing as the devil. Or there's no such thing as... Uh, uh, and something that's literally in the word of God, they'll, they'll get and they'll just start buying into this and they'll start going and gravitating towards that direction. Why? Because unless you put down roots that are deep, then whatever doctrine that comes around that sounds better. Right. Remember what? Remember this. The devil doesn't just use poison to, to kill you. He mixes it with something that you like. Right. And so, so wind comes and, and it kind of blows around or it kind of um, gets in our, our lives and we kind of get twisted from that way. And the Bible talks about that. Don't let um, uh, this, this wind of doctrine, every wind of doctrine blow us one direction or another. And we talk about storms and everybody has circumstances, right? There's not a person in here, including me. And I know sometimes we look at other people's lives where they, man, if I just had their life, I've said that, you know what, if I just had somebody else's back, right? I, I, or, you know, if I, oh, I'd, I'd win at golf more often, right? Or I, it, there's always something, but everybody has circumstances. Then everybody, so, but not only that, everybody has persecution, everybody, and that's not circumstances coming against you, that's people coming against you. And we probably have persecution more than we have some of the other things, right? Because dealing with people is kind of the hardest thing that we go through. But remember, even this not just applies spiritually, this applies to your relationship with your spouse or relationship with your children or your relationship at work or whatever. If you'll put down some roots, then whatever comes your way, you'll be like what the Bible says in Psalms where he says, uh, where David said, hey, I've hidden your word in my heart and nothing can offend me. And so that's kind of the direction that we were going. And today I wanted to wrap that up. And really we're talking about being grounded in the word of God more than anything. And so I want to start with the scripture. I want to start with a story found in Exodus chapter 14. And all of us are very familiar with this story, but I thought it was fitting for where I'm going today and how we end. But the Bible says in verse 10 that as Pharaoh approached, the, Israel, the, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, what, Was it because there was no graves, there's not enough room to bury us in Egypt, that you brought us out here in the desert to die? What have you done to us to bring us out of Egypt? Now, any time that, again, root system on the negative side can work just as well. So I hear that. Very powerful thought. He says, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. I want you to see this thought. It says, stand firm. And I highlighted and underlined that, that thought because um, I was going to bring the Hebrew word, but I couldn't really pronounce it without sounding like I got popcorn stuck in my throat. And so, but it literally means to be established. It says, stand firm, establish yourself, and you will see. So I think sometimes, and this is a, this is a word I think for some of us, is that some of you need to establish yourself so that you can see. So that you can see something. 
And I think so often that we are looking for vision. I keep hearing people talk about I, I, what's the vision or what's the purpose. And I'm thinking, okay, you, how are you going to find it? Establish yourself. Stand firm. Establish. Put down some roots. Go deeper. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord. And he will bring you, that he will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see them again. Now that's a promise. I'll tell you right there. I'd love to hear that one. Right? The neighbor that you... No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And then he reaffirms this, be still. And it gives the connotation, again, in the Hebrew, of establishment. All you got to do is stand firm. All you got to do is establish yourself and you're going to see this. And I thought, wow, that's a great... Probably one of the greatest... Miracles, if not the great outside of what Jesus did, let me say that, um, outside of the resurrection, the death and burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ is probably the greatest miracle in the Bible. And the reason I think so is because it actually saves the entire nation of Israel, a nation of people, not just one or two people, but the entire nation. At the same time, it brings judgment on the enemy, an entire nation, if you would, instantly. And God actually leads them to the Red Sea because it was easier for him. Meaning the Israelites knew that, that if they went the customary route, that they were there, the normal route, uh, they'd run into the Philistines. And so God leads them to the Red Sea and, uh, and they're at a standstill and mountains on both sides, a sea in front of them, the enemy behind them. The only thing that could happen would be a miracle. And they're very desperate in this situation. And many of us probably are in that same situation at times where we find ourselves in a, a, a desperate situation. And really many of the stories in the Bible are actually like this, but that it comes right down to the wire before God actually meets the need. And this is kind of where it was at. But in the very next chapter, it, it talks about how happy they are. And how everything is just joyful and they're rejoicing and, and not only walking across on dry ground, but the, their enemies been defeated. They don't have to look over their shoulder anymore and they're, they're partying it up and rejoicing in what has happened. And then you come to the end of the chapter and I think it's kind of funny. And he comes off and he goes in verse chapter 15. He gets to chapter 15. He says, then Moses led the Israelite, Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Mara, they could not drink the water there because it was actually too bitter. So the people did this. They murmured. Everybody know what murmured is? I'll kind of explain it here in a minute. They murmured against Moses saying, what are, what, what are we to drink? And then Moses cried out to the Lord. He prayed. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw the wa- wood in the water and water became drinkable. Now, when I was in college, I actually studied this portion of scripture quite a bit. And I actually got to the point where I was, I read it so much. I was like, okay, God, uh, I, what's the issue? I don't get it. Right. It, they've been in, in the death. You, you delivered them. You brought them to this thing. You delivered them. And now you got to think in your mind, he parts the Red Sea and and they walk across on dry ground. They're rejoicing now for three days. Why, why is it that you, you wait three days to give them some drink, something to drink? They don't, they don't have anything to drink. I don't, I don't get that at all. That's kind of, that's kind of rude. And, uh, and, and so 
I got to think about it. And so I studied it out and I'm thinking, and it's really not anything that I was, I was reading to, to give me a firm answer on this, but then it hit me. There's always a reason why God does things. Always. And the thought came to me, and, is that, and that is that, uh, that God, I think God asks at, at times when we're, when God's asking us to dig roots, let me say it like that, to go deeper, I think the question comes up is why do you follow him? Why am I following God? What's the reason? And so in chapter 16, verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole, uh, in the, desert the whole community now, not just a few, have murmured against Moses and Aaron. There's that whole thing again. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Now they're, again, referring back to where they were established, that, where they had put down roots. There we sat around plots uh, of meat and ate and all the food we wanted, but you brought us out into the desert to starve <coughs> the entire assembly to death. And so last week I, I talked, I, I touched on this just for a moment, that, that God... I don't believe God wants us to follow us just because he blesses us. And I think a lot of people, and I've been in a lot of churches, right, where we make mention in order to draw a ton of people to the things of God is that, hey, look what we drive or look what we wear or look what we live in. And that gets us to going, wow, is that really like God? Well, man, I'm going to follow him. God doesn't want you following him just because he can bless you. Are you with me? God wants you, and you, I believe what God wants or what he desires for you and me, from you and me, is, is that he, de- he desires our, our love or our heart or our life or our faith. And he wants us not just to believe in him, he wants us to believe on him in every way. No matter what comes, whether you have water, you have food, he wants you to believe on him, that he's able Right? That it's not just because he's, he's going to bless you, but I'm giving him my life. That's a deeper root system than just saying, God, bless me. Yeah. I'm petitioning you. And as we watch the Israelites on their journey, they walk with God. And the, we see some patterns where God, God just comes through for them. And it's unbelievable way that he continues to do. But if you really look at it and you study it, the Israelites weren't really good people of faith. They're not great examples of that. Really didn't have much faith at all. God has rescued them out of the, the, the land of their enemy in amazing fashion. And three days later, they're already turning on God. And the first thing they did is they start murmuring. And we all know that you never solve anything by murmuring. And so listen to me, teenagers. Or complaining. Uh, and I'm not saying that because you do. I'm, we all do it. I'm saying learn that lesson before I learned it. A murmur is someone who goes and complains to everyone but the person who actually can make it right. So if you wanted to know a good definition, that's it. A murmurer is somebody who will go and find somebody to complain to or murmur to and he'll find, that person will find everybody but the person who can actually do something about it. 
I don't want to talk to the one that can give them. They don't want to talk to the one that can give them the answer. They just want to murmur to everyone else. You never fix anything by going to someone that has nothing to do with the problem in the first place and tell them about your problem. That's very shallow root system. Murmuring was not just a big deal then. It's actually a major deal now never solves anything. And if you're trying to build unity in a family or a church or a company, it actually can destroy the whole process. How many are glad you came to church today? Okay, good. (laughs) Well, we're halfway done then. You can't build or deepen any relationship by murmuring. You can't. And I can tell you this, if you're allowing that kind of lifestyle or attitude to infiltrate your life and your relationship or with your spouse or your work, or your family, or your church, or even God. I'm going to tell you this straight up. And I don't mean this by to be hard. I just mean it to be truthful. And that is the clock is ticking on that relationship. There's no way you can develop the spiritual roots, relationship roots, or whatever it is if you have a spirit that is constantly complaining and murmuring about what you have or about what's going on. And that's what Israel's doing. And think about it. Moses, he didn't have to come back. He was on the backside of a desert tending some sheep, living the life, man. And here he comes. He risked his life and leads the people out of bondage. And now they criticize and complain and they murmur against him. Let me, let me, a parenthetical thought. Can I take just a moment? I think in America right now, um, I think we're afraid to be criticized as Americans. Everything we see or say or do has to be politically correct. Let me say, I'm, I'm all for tact and love and and saying things in love, right? I'm, I'm all for that. I think that's the way. We're afraid to stand up and call injustice wrong at the thought of someone not liking us, and I think that's wrong. Yeah. I realized a long time ago you don't accomplish anything worthwhile without having some criticizing come your way or criticism come your way. You don't. And I can tell you, if you do have some like some criticism come your way, guess just thank God that you're a little more like Jesus because he had a lot come his way. I'd much rather stand up, have some depth to me and do something that takes and take a little criticism than to sit down on my butt and do nothing the rest of my life. I know I said the word butt in church. Thank God my dad's not here. I'd have a bar of soap hanging out of my mouth right now. <laughs> but it's important that we don't allow the shallow things like murmuring or criticizing stop us from, a deeper than the, from the deeper things of God. And I think they have. You know, it, sometimes I look back. At the, there's, I talk about my rearing in the church as sometimes as seeing it through a negative Thing. But one of the things I'm very appreciative about 
that time in my life is that we'd get together for prayer meetings or services and it was truth and it was that God can do anything, right? And I, 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 that put it in me, that God can do anything. This week, I'm, I, I sat in the Target parking lot and feeling so miserable in my body. And, and I just said, God, I, I, I want a miracle. And I'm rarely the guy that calls up people and says, hey, I need you to pray for me. But I was, I, at this point, I, I called up a, some close friends and I just said, texted up some close friends and said, hey, I need you to pray. Some pastor friends of mine and leaders. And, because there comes a time, I, I look back going, I'm thankful that what was established in me when I was younger was that, you know what? It, it, it may not be, it may not be pastoral to go, man, I'm, I got a little bit of a weakness but I think it's more godly and more relational to have that than to stand up here and tell you that I've got it all together. Are you with me? I think that's true. I do. And I think God understands. I think that's a deeper relationship. And I think that's one of the things that I saw and I was modeled. But, but I, th- I don't think we... I think it's important that we don't allow the shallow things like murmuring or criticizing or complaining to stop us from growing deeper. Now, God saw all this coming. I'm going to say this. Let me shift gears. And that's why he had made a covenant with Abraham. And he said, I'm going to bless you. But I'm not just going to stop with blessing you. I'm going to bless everybody. I'm going to bless all your descendants. Every, every descendant. And in Galatians chapter 5, it says that if you and I have made Jesus Christ the Lord of our life, that if he lives in us, that the covenant that he made, that God made with Abraham, now belongs to you as well. That that covenant is ours. So the children of Israel weren't blessed because they were good people. Hear this. They weren't blessed because they were good people. They were blessed because they were in the right family. You're not blessed because you're a good person. You're blessed because you're in the right family. I'm blessed because I'm in the right, I'm, I'm in the right of heritage. And you and I, if we've made Christ the Lord, that's, that's for us. We're in the right family. We have the right to lay claim to the promises of Abraham. And God was able to do all kinds of great things for the children of Israel, even though they weren't all that great because the promise that he had made to Abraham. Now, why did God do all the great stuff and then stop? And now there's no water, there's no food, and God's done all this great stuff, and, there's, and now he's leading them out there, there's, there's nothing for them. Well, I'm going to give you a couple of things that, that, that I feel like it's, that I read into this. And the first one I already gave you, and that is that, number one, our love for God should never be based solely upon his blessings. I think that's the first thing that God is showing that it, you know what? Why'd you bring us all the way out of here? Now you don't have, we don't have any food and we have nothing to drink. And I think God is saying, Hey, I don't want you following me solely or loving me solely because I'll bless you. I say it like this. If God never did another thing for me, I have enough to say thank you for, for the rest of my days on this earth from what he's already done. Are you with me? I think all of us could say that. God wants you and I to trust him. 
to intrinsically love him. Aren't you trying to do that with your children? If you're raising kids here, aren't you trying to get them to trust and love you intrinsically? So you don't have to go, hey, put that down, or I'm going to extrinsically do something. Right? That's our goal. God's the same way. He's a good father. He wants to give good things, but he don't want you to just follow. I love my kids, but I can always tell you when they love me back because of something. I can, right? So like, this has happened in my, ha- my house where, hey, dad, can I go so-and-so? And, well, who's going to be there? What's going to happen? Yeah, we go through the whole, the whole routine, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, sure. And he's like, oh, okay. And you come back up. I, I love you, dad. <laughs> right? I'll give you an example of this. My brother is a year and two months older than I am. And uh, when we were younger, my parents told us, or told him, he was really hoping for a vehicle. He wanted a truck, you know. Really, he's a manly man. I want a truck. And I remember my parents come in and say, you need to, to pray for a truck. And I remember him, <laughs> he's like, all right. So he, he he's... He is a great guy. He's not the sharpest. I got a lot of that. <laughs> I can say that he's not here. Um, but, and so he would pray every night. And so he, um, so I'll never forget my dad did a, he, he was a plumber, a heating and air guy. And we, he had a, a business. And so they had started and, and he did a, a job for somebody, and they, they didn't have any money to pay him, but they had an old... How many of you remember uh, the, the car Datsun? Oh, there we go. For you young people, that's a car. Um, anyway, I'm just kidding. The, so he, my dad gets traded for the labor with this old uh, 1978 Datsun pickup. Right. Right, it's uh, you, you. You would drive that home, and then seven clowns would get out and run around it, and then get back in. That, that's how big it was. And uh, I'll never forget. My dad brought it home. It's worth about three hundred bucks back then, and need a little carburetor work. And so he he got, he worked on it, got it got it fixed before he brought it home. Drove it home, and my, my he went inside. He told my brother, "Hey, uh, I think the Lord's answered your prayer." And, and uh, my brother, what? what? And you come outside. I'll never forget. My, uh, my dad stands there, and my, my brother just stares at him. Is that mine? And he, my dad goes, yeah. And he goes, he turned around to my dad, and he said, now, this is love. He says, I will never put you in a nursing home. <laughs> Honest truth. Uh, two weeks later, later, that Datsun burned to the ground. That carburetor work didn't. I don't know what happened. But see, I think sometimes we love God in that fashion. It's that petition. I, you know, Lord, you know, now, now I love you, right? I love you. Here's the second thing I think I read out of that story. And that is that God's plan for you doesn't include you living in the wilderness. Think about that just for a moment. I don't. I think God gave them 
God, God doesn't, his plan didn't, God doesn't want his people living in a wilderness. So what he does is he makes the wilderness a barely get by thing. So that after 40 years, the kids who had grown up living there, if you would, would say, hey, I've had enough of this place. Quail, manna, I'm ready to go to Cana. Now think about how shallow it was. You know, well, think about this. Let me back up. You know why the children of Israel wanted to go to the wilderness? It wasn't that God sent them there. They actually wanted to go there. They just, they, they like, I choose this. And the reason they wanted to go there was there was no one else there. No one else wanted to go to the wilderness. The wilderness was empty. And then if it's empty, then God has to provide to take care of this nation. He has to be the provider. Let me say this. Listen, uh, having roots to your spiritual walk with God means understanding that anything that is worth having in life comes with a price to pay. There's a sacrifice. There's a cost to get it. If you go to where there is no fight, no cost, it's because no one else wanted to have it. I'll say that again. If you go where there is no fight, no cost, it's because no one else wanted it. Shallow Christianity says, let's just hang out in the wilderness. Let's let God take care of all us. Roots in God say, if this is uh, uh, in our Christian walk says, let's go possess the promise that God's already given to us. Let's go take the land that God says is available to you. And let's just take what God says is, is ours. That's what depths say. And let me say this. Let me be very truthful. And very vivid uh, in the sense of clear or clarity with you this morning. That is that many in the body of Christ right here even in our community are living way beneath the privileges that Christ died for you to have. God wants to do so much more for us than we could possibly imagine. And oftentimes we limit him in so many ways. We live shallow in what he's provided for us. Now what should they have done? Let me... Solved the equation real quick. They needed water. They needed food. So what, what do they do? Well, I think they should have trusted God. And I didn't put these in bullet point thoughts. So you can write this down if you want. Relationships that have depth will always trust the higher source when things get bad. And I should have put that in there for your notes because that's a great statement. If you're taking notes, you should write that down. And that is that relationships that have depth We'll always trust the higher source when things get bad. When you and I have roots in our relationship with God, it's easier to say, hey, God, I know you're faithful. You'll provide the water. You'll provide the food. And in Acts chapter 5, the apostle had gotten in. They had a different spirit than their forefathers. In Acts chapter 5, in verse 40, it said they called to the apostles. These are the... (laughs) Leaders, if you would, the spiritual leaders called to the apostles. They called them in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Hey, quit talking about that Jesus stuff. And then they let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. (laughs) That's not usually our attitude when trouble comes our way. They're rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace. For the name. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, kind of did like 
many of us, right? Don't go do that. Okay. And you go do exactly what they tell you not to do. He says they stop. They never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus that he is the Messiah. And they're talking about Peter and John who's actually healed a man in the name of Jesus and the leaders are angry so they beat him. And the response of Peter and John was, thank you God, not for the trouble, not for the trouble, but that we've been counted worthy to suffer shame, that we've been included with Jesus, that we've been treated like he was. That the same devil that tried to kill Jesus is actually upset with us. They're actually rejoicing at that. And that we are a threat. And I think that's one of the things I read in that, that they're actually really starting to believe that we're a threat to the kingdom of the devil and the kingdom of darkness. And armed with the attitude of faith, they overcome. And if you follow the story out, the Bible says that doors were open, lives were changed, and they suffered, but God delivered them. Depth or roots, if you would. Having a deeper walk with God may come with challenges. But you always remember this, the benefits far outweigh them. The benefits are greater than the cost. I want to close with this thought. It isn't the trouble or the problems that cause us to grow deep with God. I think sometimes that's what people think. If trouble brought people a deeper relationship with God, then church, the church building would be full. It would be packed. Because all of us have trouble. It's not the trouble that deepens our walk with God. It's how you respond to that trouble that deepens your relationship with God. Trouble is not designed to help. It's designed to destroy or tear down. It's like weightlifting. If you lift weights here, this, you'll identify with this. It's not just the lifting the weights that make us stronger. Because if lifting weights made you stronger, then reps 11, 12, 13 would be just as easy as 1, 2, 3. It's true. But in most circumstances, when you lift weights, it actually tears the body down. And your body goes to bed that night. And that body says, man, we were whooped today. And so your cells say, we got to build back. And they go to work while you're sleeping and you're eating the right stuff. And the next time you go, your body responds to what you did before. And it gets stronger. And that's how a lot of this works. It's not just the weights or the issues of life that help you grow. But more importantly, it's how you respond that makes you stronger in God. I mentioned a lot of things. I read that story because I wanted to close with that thought. Before we take communion today, I want you to think just for a moment. What, where do you have to go? Because what we're going to have to do with this tree, we're going to take it out. And we have to put it somewhere else in order for it to do that. In your walk with God, what do you need to take out of your life? What do you need to bring in to your life? See, some of you are established. I've always said, sometimes people come to me and say, can you counsel with us? And I'll say, sure, well, let's sit down and visit, right? And then you'll start hearing things about where they're 
they're struggling and the struggles are this, 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 and this. And they pile them on top of one another. And we start talking it out. And I'm like, well, where are you faithful? Where are you planted? Where are you established? How much word do you take in? How much do you spend time with God in prayer? One of the things I've oftentimes that I've done in counseling sessions that have specifically routed around the idea of their relationship with God is ask this question. Where are you firmly established in your life? Oh, nothing's really established in my life. Okay, then you need to, number one, you need to find a church and you need to get planted in it. I did not have to be at Harvest Church. It'd be any church that teaches the word, find that one and connect. Then you need to build some relationships with one or two or three people that you can be honest with. And I promise you what's going to happen is you're going to grow deeper and deeper and deeper. Would you be perfect? No. You'll have some branches that you'll need to prune, but if you'll allow God to do it, he'll make you even more fruitful. But the first thing you got to do, you got to start with the things that people don't see. Remember, let's go back to what he said. Stand firm, establish yourself. You want to see something change? Go deeper. Don't work on the beauty of you. Work on the things that aren't seen of you. Let God change the inside. Let's let's pray. Will you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Father, thank you, Lord, for your word today. Thank you, Lord, for your strength in us. Before we close our service, before we receive communion together, my prayer is, God, that you, you reach down into our heart. Don't cause us to be believers in you. <laughs> let us see. Let us understand. Let us have a personal, intimate relationship with you. Let us believe on you. So today, God, here's my heart. I give it to you. I'm surrendering it to you. I pray, God, that you would take my heart. Embrace that, Lord, that you strengthen, that you encourage, that you build it up, Lord, that my body is healed, that my mind is renewed. Those are the deeper things, God. Those are the deeper things, God. So over the course of the last three weeks that we've studied, Father, help us to establish, stand firm, and see, to see, to have vision. That roots, (laughs) that's something that we develop, that's something that we choose, something we desire to go deeper. Today, God, I'm, I'm grateful. For all that you've done. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not just a church attender, that, Father, I'm an in love, passionate leader, speaker, father, husband, friend, and, Father, child of God. And, Father, that's caused me to establish some things in my life that no matter what comes my way, what storm 
persecution doctrine. But I stand firm. I'm established in the things of God. I pray, Lord, today, if we don't know you, that we find you today. And it's a simple thing. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, that's, that's what I need. I need Jesus in my life. I've kind of been walking on my own. And you'd say, Pastor, I want to know Jesus. Just ask you to pray a prayer with me. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. See, you don't have to give it an offering. You don't, have to, you don't have to do a work to know Christ. You simply have to trust Him. Put your faith in Him. Confess Him as your Lord, your Savior. The Bible says you'll be saved. So if you would, just pray that prayer. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I surrender who I am to you. I thank you for saving me. Jesus, you are my Lord today. And not just today, I'm committing my life to you forever. Not going back to the world, not going back to the sin life I've been living. I'm yours. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name.